Hello and welcome back to Crawford Insights, the podcast where we take a recent post from the Crawford Investment Council blog and dive a bit deeper with the author. I'm your host, Tom Bueller, Portfolio Manager here at Crawford, and today we'll be discussing The Money Machine with our guest and founder of Crawford Investment Council, John Crawford III. Thanks for joining us, John. Well, Tom, it's good to be here. We'll be talking about one of your favorite topics today, common stocks. And in fact, we're going to be talking about high-quality, dividend-paying common stocks. So I know you'll be excited about that. Well, that's what we do, isn't it, Tom? It is indeed. Yes, it's quite exciting for me. (laughs) Well, good. It is for me as well. So I thought we'd start off high-level with some general topics about this paper that you put together Can you give us what really was the source of inspiration for coming up with the idea of looking at common stocks as money machines? Well, yes, I can. I was thinking back about this, and I think it it happened spontaneously, as often is the case when you're thinking about and talking about things that you like and are enthusiastic about. And I just remember talking with a client one time, And I was working myself into a state of excitement about the virtues of common stocks and how profitable they can be as investments. And all of a sudden, I just said, you know, these stocks, they're like money machines. And you just think about it. You put some money in, 90 days later, some money comes out. It's just like magic. And so it just kind of happened. And so then I got to thinking about it and just used that metaphor, so to speak, to expand a little bit about how to invest in money machines or in stocks. And, you know, the whole idea of contrasting them to a slot machine, which is designed for entertainment and failure, as opposed to a money machine that's designed for success and reward. And how do you make the machine work? And, you know, you have to have these four buttons, the the buy, the sell, the reinvest, and the quality, which we can talk about. But it just came about spontaneously. Yeah, and that makes sense. And I like the description of, you know, stocks as money machines, maybe not the magical portion of it. (laughs) There's a little more science behind it. But yeah, I definitely see where you're coming. So the word machine oftentimes conjures up images of something that's automatic. Do you mean this literally? And what kind of limitations do machines have? Well, I think the money machine is like any other machine. It depends on the input, okay? You have to put something into a machine to make it generate something out. And so the input is what you select. The human element is picking the stock. So you just have to pick the stock. Picking stocks is an imperfect exercise. You know as well as I do. Every pick doesn't work out. So the limit is really on how effective you can be in selecting the stock that you buy. And that's where, of course, all the processes that we go through here come into play, really establishing an investment philosophy that can guide you over a long period of time, then doing really deep down research into individual securities and making selections that are in concert with that investment philosophy. And then pushing the button. Yeah. And, you know, I do think you can think of the dividend as somewhat of that automatic portion. There's nothing guaranteed about the dividend, but we tend to buy stocks that are very consistent in their dividends, ideally raising those dividends over time. But as you noted, every 90 days, you get that repayment in the form of the dividend. Absolutely. That is the part of it that is more or less fail-safe. 
we're only going to buy stocks that have been paying dividends for a long time, and we expect them to continue to pay dividends. So when we select a stock, we're pretty sure that in 90 days, the money is going to come back out in that dividend. And as you point out, the real secret of success is if you can select companies where the dividend is increasing on a consistent basis. That's really the source of wealth accumulation, I believe. Yeah, certainly we've experienced that here over many decades investing for our clients, and it's been a rewarding way for us to invest on behalf of them. Well, you talked about the four buttons on this hypothetical money machine. Let's kind of go through each one of those. The first is the buy button. And and we get asked this question all the time. When is the right time to begin an investment program? Yes, I've had this question many, many times over the years. And I have a simple answer. Any time is the best time. I had a feeling that might be your answer. <laughs> well, the, the key is really, it's just getting started, okay? So you can say, well, let's wait till the market's really attractive. Uh, you may be waiting for a long, long time. And if you do that, you've lost the advantage of time. I mean, time is money. So the sooner you get started, the more time you have working for you. So you don't have to start with everything at one time. You can start with a smaller amount and add to it generally over time. But the really important thing is get started, get committed to a program, and let it work for you. Yeah, that makes sense. And so you talked about really just starting the program is where the success is going to lie. We focus on quality here when we're making purchase decisions for clients. What other factors come into play to generate a successful investment program? I think your mindset that you have when you start a program is really important. And as I said earlier, I think the most important thing is, first of all, to adopt an investment philosophy that can guide you over a long period of time, provide guardrails for you so that you can get inside that philosophy and operate on a consistent basis. You want to be consistent. You don't want to be jumping around from one style to another. You want to just let the program roll out in a well-defined manner. I think you want to stay invested. You just cannot predict when the market is going to go down or when it's going to go up. What you know is that over long, long periods of time, it does go up. It doesn't go up every year. It doesn't go up every quarter. But it goes up because the underlying earnings of corporate America go up. They're dynamic organizations. They're raising their earnings and their dividends. And so stocks go up. It's important to be realistic. This is the money machines are wealth creators, but they don't create it instantly. They create it over time. And so this is a long-term investment program. And if it doesn't work immediately, don't get frustrated, okay? Just don't get frustrated. Give it time. Time is money, and it'll work for you over time. So these are some ingredients that if you have these in your mind when you get started, you have a much greater chance of success. Yeah, and I think that's really the key is giving yourself a higher likelihood of success because, as you point out, the timing is nearly impossible to get exactly right. So if you can commit to a long-term program that allows for that time-is-money concept to play out for you, then you're likely to have a higher likelihood of success. Well, good. We'll move on to the next button, which is the reinvest button. And, you know, this one, when I was reading the paper, kind of stood out to me because – 
What you describe in the paper is a little bit different than what we do in practice when we're investing for clients. And specifically, that's on dividends either being automatically reinvested or our approach here at Crawford Investment Council is to have them pay in cash and then we can somewhat steer those reinvestments. Can you discuss why that might be our approach as opposed to just automatically reinvesting into the stock that pays the dividend? Well, yes. First of all, I say you can actually reinvest here if a client wishes to. Our custodians have the capability of doing this for us. So you can have a portfolio that just says, okay, I don't need income. So automatically reinvest the dividend every quarter for me, and the custodian will do that. And if you don't need income, I think that is a preferred route. Now, most of our clients, however, do have some income requirements that they need for their daily uses, all right? And so as a matter of practice, we tend to not automatically reinvest unless the client wishes for us to. And the reason is because we like to, well, we honor the need for their income. Number two, we like to have some cash on hand. As opportunities develop, it gives us flexibility. But really, we're reinvesting for them. It's not like we're taking the dividends and never reinvesting them. It's just we're making the decision about what points in the portfolio represent the best value, and we make that decision for them. So it's a little bit of both. You can do it automatically, but Practically speaking, most of our clients need some income, and so the flow of the dividends is important to them. Yeah, now that, that makes sense, and that's certainly, like you said, what we've seen in practice working on accounts for our clients. So one of the things that we try to do is be long-term in our orientation when we make investments, and you can see the rising dividends really benefit you over time. And something that you've talked about before that I think is interesting is the concept of yield on cost or how much income you're generating on a holding versus what you originally put into it. Can you discuss why you think that's such an important concept and maybe an underappreciated concept in the investment world? Well, what it illustrates is the power of growing dividends. I mean, we have some stocks that we've owned for 15 or 20 years, some even longer than that. And there are positions where the dividend is actually returning the amount of cost every year, which is truly astounding. So just to clarify that point, you're saying that we may have put $10,000 into a stock you know, back in 2000, and now every single year we're getting $10,000 of dividends from that same holding. Pretty amazing, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> That's the power of growing dividends. So the cost doesn't change, but your income keeps going up. I've chosen a very unusual example. I don't mean to imply that all of our stocks in 10 years are going to return 100% of the cost basis on an annual basis. That's not going to be the case. But it does happen. And, you know, some of these companies have grown their dividends at 15 or 20% a year for a long period of time. And you can just multiply that pretty easily to see how it could be 100% in a pretty fairly short period of time. So it's it's an amazing thing. And I mean, that's, hey, Tom, that's a money machine. There you go. <laughs> well, good. Let's, let's talk about the sell side, because obviously we spend a lot of time talking about buying and reinvesting, but oftentimes selling doesn't get as much of attention as the other areas, but it's one of the four buttons that you identified. So I want to say, I want to ask the question, when do you know 
that it's the right time to sell a security? Well, that, of course, is all a critical element of our research effort here. And we have a sell discipline, as you know, where we will sell a stock. First of all, if a dividend is cut or omitted, we're going to move on to something that's paying consistently. That happens very infrequently because we do our work on the front end and we hardly ever get a dividend cut. So that one is utilized rarely. Fortunately, some of these selections of individual stocks work out to be extremely profitable. And as a result of increases in their valuation, they become extremely overvalued. So there are times when we will take a stock out of the portfolio just because its risk has increased dramatically because it's gone up so much and its valuation has increased so much. So that's also a reason to sell a stock and select another one that is more appropriately priced. And then, of course, we will sell a stock if the fundamentals deteriorate. We're constantly monitoring all of our holdings. That's what our research department does. And business conditions are competitive. Management's change. A lot of things can happen. Fundamentals can deteriorate in the company, and it's our job to monitor that. And when they deteriorate significantly, then we're going to hit the sell button. So you mentioned the monitoring process that the equity research team goes through. And in addition to just monitoring the holdings, they also work up an investment thesis for each one of the stocks we invest in. And I think that gives us the backing to be able to be patient with some of these names when the thesis is not playing out as quickly as we would have hoped. But there can be a disconnect there or sometimes you might see one person claiming that they're being patient and someone else may view them as being stubborn and not necessarily recognizing that circumstances have changed. How do you identify when, as an investor, you're being patient or when you're being stubborn? It's one of the hardest things to do, okay? If you're a long-term investor, which we are, and you have what you consider to be a sound thesis for owning a position, then your inclination is to give it some time to work out, okay? But during that time, you have to be continually evaluating the thesis and the progress of the thesis. And at some point, you just have to make a decision. This thesis didn't work, and we're wasting time, and so let's move on. So it's it's a judgment, that's all, and that's what investing is about, the judgments after research. So we've been in a very strong period over the last five years where the market has compounded it and much greater than its historical long-term average. The concept of reversion to the mean would imply that we're about to enter a period of less robust returns. Do you think that's likely on the horizon for us? Well, I've said earlier that it's very difficult to predict the market. And so I can't say with absolute conviction, but I think it's always prudent to be realistic about your expectations. And for the five years ending in 21, the market, as defined by the S&P 500, has compounded at about 18%. That's an 80% premium to its return over long periods of time, about 10%. 18% has never been sustained for an extended period of time. And so I think it's reasonable to expect that returns will be lower. Now, that doesn't mean we're predicting a bear market that'll be down 20 to 40%, something like that. It may just be that earnings from corporate America have to grow into the price that these stocks have been priced at, which means it'll be a slower process. You don't know, Tom, 
So all you can do is do your work, make your choices, and stay within your philosophy. And in the long run, it will work. And so, I mean, yes, I, I believe returns will be more moderate. Will it be bad? Not necessarily, but I just think they'll be more moderate. And I think this is, as I said earlier, a big part of investing is to be realistic. I mean, this is real life, you know, and that's just life has to work out the best it can. Yeah, so I think that you're right. It's reasonable to expect a more moderate pace of return going forward for the next few years. Does that have implications for investing in dividend paying versus non-dividend paying or high quality versus lower quality stocks? Absolutely. If you have lower returns, what that means is that the dividend component of the total return will be a higher percentage of it. Okay. So what it will mean if the dividend yield on a portfolio is a higher percentage of its total investment return, that means that the total investment return will be more stable. It'll be more predictable. So in lower returns, dividends are extremely important simply because they're just a bigger portion of the return. And we know we're going to get that. That's the beauty of dividends. They give you predictability. They give you sustainability. You know they're going to be there. And, of course, you don't know that about the appreciation side. So, yes, in a lower period of returns, dividends will definitely be more important. Great. Thank you, John. The last button on the machine is quality. Obviously, that's something that we emphasize in all of our portfolios consistently, but not everyone looks at quality the same way. We've utilized the dividend to help identify quality. How frequently do companies move in and out of higher quality versus lower quality classifications? Well, actually, not that often, for instance. Procter & Gamble doesn't become high quality and then slip into low quality and back into high quality because all of the components in Procter & Gamble that make it a high quality are pretty much permanent features. Certain companies fall out frequently, and new ones come in. So there's a rotating element in the quality universe, so to speak, which, by the way, if you commit yourself to quality, you're committing to a smaller universe. Quality is a distinguishing factor that all companies don't have. Just as an example, in the 60s and the 70s and even into the 80s, GE was considered to be kind of the bluest of the blue chip. Before that, even Eastman Kodak. I mean, Eastman Kodak was a bulwark of quality, and companies practically gone away. GE has deteriorated significantly. On the other hand, think about Microsoft. Forty years ago, it didn't exist. Think about Home Depot. Forty years ago, it didn't exist. So companies emerge. And, of course, Microsoft and Home Depot weren't considered high quality 40 years ago when they started their businesses. But those businesses were eminently successful. And things like balance sheet, market share, consistency and results, all of those things which are essential parts of quality came into being. So you have to be aware of the rotating aspect of quality, but it happens on the edges. New ones come in, old ones go out. But a lot of them stay in there for a long period of time. Yeah, it certainly makes sense that you wouldn't see a lot of rotation in and out because companies that have those characteristics tend to maintain them. Are there certain sectors or industries that are more likely to have those higher quality characteristics over longer periods of time? Well, you think about the dividend as an indicator of quality and companies that raise their dividend every single year really being the kind of the preeminent quality players. They're going to be in industries that are sectors of the economy 
that are pretty stable. Consumer staples, for instance. A lot of consumer discretionary. Our economy is driven by consumption, so companies that are playing directly into consumption tend to do better. On the other hand, there are companies that are highly cyclical. For instance, in our portfolios, you rarely see, other than oil, a commodity play. We're not going to be investing in metals or other commodities because commodities are very, very volatile. They're very cyclical. They're subject to surges and falls. And so we prefer more the steady as you go. And so our preferences are going to lie in those areas where we can find the consistency. Makes a lot of sense. Obviously, that's what we've been doing for over four decades, and I would expect the next four decades will continue to do that because it's been a good way to approach it. Well, I think so, Tom. The money we invest for our clients, this is serious money. So we want to be investing in the most conservative manner that we can in terms of preserving capital, but not so conservative that we can't expose ourselves to future returns from companies that are really demonstrating the ability to grow their earnings and then grow those dividends as well. And so if we can find that combination, which our whole philosophy is designed to do, then I think we can continue to be successful for our clients. Well, John, thanks for coming in and sharing your thoughts. That's our show for today. If you haven't already done so, be sure to check out John's article, The Money Machine, on our website at insights.crawfordinvestmentcouncil.com forward slash perspectives. Subscribe to the Perspectives blog while you're there and be sure to join us for another episode next month.